0: This is Unretirement, a podcast about finding purpose and a paycheck in the second half of life from American Public Media. I'm Chris Farrell. I bet you have something you're passionate about, travel, hobby, craft, exercise, and you might have even thought about turning that passion into a business. That's what this episode is all about. In a bit, we'll have some of the do's and the don'ts for making what you love into a business. But first, I want to introduce you to Joe. Here's the genesis of the story. I was doing some research into creativity and read an article about vintage motorcycle mechanics and how creative they are in their job. And I got intrigued. I wonder if there are any in the Twin Cities where I live. Went online. Sure enough, a couple popped up and one grabbed my attention, Joe V. Cycle. I just like the name. And then as I'm reading a story, I realize this is an unretirement story.
1: Motorcycles have always been there for me. And then when I lost my job, they were there again.
0: Joe grew up racing motorcycles, motocross, and he's repaired them over the years. He's well-known in the local motorcycle community, but what he's really known for, he's the one that shows up with his dog riding on the
1: motorcycle. In the summer, she rode on a motorcycle all the time. I put a mat on a gas tank with a bungee. I'll show you. You could see the bike right there, the one with the green uh, yes. on the back. But <laughs> everywhere I went, she came with me, A parts store, uh, you know, bike shows, whatever. She was always with me. And everybody, everybody always asked me, where's Daisy? And not, you know, how's Daisy? Not how are you?
0: Joe told me this story when I visited him at his garage, where he has 25, 30 motorcycles he's working on.
1: Most of them are vintage. Like, that's a 1969 Kawasaki. That's a Boltaco Metrella. That's a 68, 1980 Kawasaki KZ 550, and a 1974 Honda CL 350.
0: When I went into the garage, my initial reaction was, this place is just a jumble of tools and motorcycles. But the more time I spent there talking to Joe and looking around, I realized how clean, neat, and well-organized it was. This is an artist's studio. Joe can fix old bikes that regular shops can't handle. If you can't get the parts anymore, he makes them. He even makes his own tools.
1: Probably everything on that pegboard over there, you know, this press, this English wheel, that bike lift there. Like I said, a lot of special tools. You know, you make it on the lathe and the welder, and uh, you can make just about anything you need. By now it's clear, Joe
0: loves fixing things. He can't help himself. While we were talking to him, he noticed that my producer was holding a heavy microphone and boom in her hands. He thought he could come up with a more
1: comfortable way to do it. All you have to do is put a lanyard here and put it around your neck. You got a lanyard right yeah. now. There you go. Put a little cushion on it. <laughs>
0: Joe loves to tinker, and when he got married and had a family, he found steady work fixing things. Joe became an airplane mechanic, and he signed on with Northwest Airlines in the Twin Cities, and he loved fixing airplanes, and he was close to his colleagues, and he was proud of his work.
1: Northwest had probably one of the best workforces in the world.
0: But in 2005... Mechanics for Northwest Airlines are on strike. The Union for Mechanics walked off the job at 11.01 Central Time last night.
1: I went along with whatever we had to do. You know, we went out and with our signs and walked, and it wasn't fun, uh, but it needed to be done. Uh, when did you know the strike
0: wasn't going to work?
1: Oh, a- after several months. I mean, I shouldn't even say that. After two or three months, guys were going back left and right. I think the worst part is seeing your coworkers not having enough integrity to stand with you, that they had no backbone and they just cowered and went back. If we were all stuck together, it would have been a whole different story. I didn't want to go back to Northwest. Well, I was definitely not going to cross the picket line. I am just too strong of a union member for that. And I felt that it may be too difficult to ever go back there and have no desire to go back.
0: Joe had spent 21 years of his life at Northwest. He loved being an airline mechanic, but that career was over. He retired from the airline, but in his late 40s, he was too young to stop working. So what would he do? He started his own vintage motorcycle repair business. Joe's business is doing really well, but there's an important difference between a passion and a business. With a passion, you can get away from the weekend. I'm not going to do this today. With a business... There's always something to do, the paperwork, the billing, the invoice, and, of course, repairing motorcycles. In owning your own business, running your own business, it can get lonely at times.
1: So do you miss your colleagues? Yes. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. It's difficult working by yourself all day long. And uh, the other thing was, I hate to say it, my last dog Daisy, I was with her all day long. She went everywhere with me. She became a great companion. And when I had to put her to sleep a few months ago, it was a big loss. Uh, And I think people with pets can appreciate it.
0: Oh, yes, putting any pet down is hard. But then I looked down. Is this your new dog? Yes.
1: That's (laughs) Ginger.
0: Ginger is very cute.
1: Terrier? Uh, She's a mix. She's, I think... uh, A little Yorkie, a little terrier, a little crazy. (laughs) But she likes to dig a lot. That's why she's filthy right now. (laughs) You're driving me crazy in the back.
0: Joe says he and Ginger are still figuring out their friendship. She may not have quite made her way into Joe's heart yet, although I'm a little skeptical about that. But she has learned to ride on his motorcycle.
1: Daisy, my last dog, she stood. This one likes to sit. She's a little lazy, (laughs) So now when Joe runs out
0: to the parts store, he has a new ambassador for his repair business. Joe's in his late 50s, and he sees his vintage motorcycle business as something he can do until his working days are done.
1: The nice thing about this, too, is I I should be able to do this, and God wants, into retirement. Yeah, no problem. It's built up enough, and it's self-sustaining as long as I keep it where it's at. And the nice thing is I can back off, you know, take less work, take as much as I want. One nice thing about this and a lot of mechanics, you know, everybody always thinks as a car mechanic, that's all he does is work on the brakes and tires. When this, you do the same thing, you motorcycle brakes and tires, but there's so much more with the custom bikes, making gas tanks, you know, making oil tanks, I've done that making custom parts. It keeps it interesting.
0: And it's creative. This is a total aside. I used to be a merchant seaman, and I worked in the engine rooms of um, container ships and tankers. Oh, okay, yeah. So they would always have their machine tool shop down in the engine room, and if uh, you know something would break, you just have to be able to make it at sea. And I was the one that would, you know, Assist picking stuff up, pouring water or oil on it, depending on what, what the engineer is doing. But it was just always fascinating to watch, you just you know, just build shafts and at the right tolerance. And I always enjoyed that. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I don't think people give uh, a good mechanic as much credit as they really deserve. Everybody always, you know, the old grease monkey. But uh, good mechanics worth his weight in gold.
0: Joe is really skilled at what he does. And there's a bigger point in that. One of my pet peeves is I'll hear over and over again, you know, this unretirement thing. Oh, that's wonderful. But that's only for the white collar professional, the person who's been in a cubicle all their life or maybe the corner office. But what about the rest of people? Well, the thing is, the rest of people have skills. And that's really what's key. Do you have a skill? It's not about your education. It's not about your income. It's about what skills do you have. And what Joe opens up is whether you're a motorcycle mechanic or a mechanical engineer or a machinist, an electrician, there's all kinds of possibilities later in life that people with skills, this knowledge, and this experience that they built up over the ages, and anybody who has spent any time around skilled labor realizes but boy they use their minds and they use their hands and the other thing is a lot of white collar workers have done one thing during their careers one thing when you look at skilled labor They have lived with the ups and downs in the economy. They've been laid off many times. And it's that skill, that ability to adjust to your circumstances and to create your own opportunities that lies behind much of the drive for unretirement. And one of the reasons to be really optimistic about this is that most people, almost everyone you know, has a skill. You're listening to Unretirement. I'm Chris Farrell. Up next, some expert advice on the advantages and pitfalls of turning your passion into a business in your unretirement. Joe has done a good job turning his passion into a business. And if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're thinking could I do that? What are the pitfalls? What are the advantages of turning my passion into a startup? Well, for some answers, I called Elizabeth Eisel. I interviewed Elizabeth about entrepreneurship for my book on retirement. And since then, we've had a wonderful time crossing paths at a number of conferences. She's the founder of Senior Entrepreneurship Works. Like Joe, Elizabeth turned her passion into a business. In her case, a Business Encouraging Entrepreneurship in the Second Half of Life. I asked Elizabeth, what do you think about turning a passion into a business?
2: Well, I think it's very good from the perspective of you're passionate about that, so you're going to want to make that work. The downside of that is, is exactly that. You're so passionate about it, you're going to try to force it to make it work, instead of realizing and thinking about it objectively, is this really a business or is this just a passionate indulgence of mine?
0: So how do you start testing out the idea and figuring out which one is it, a business
2: or an indulgence? Well, one of the first things we recommend for people is to bring together a brain trust. People, when they're thinking of starting businesses, automatically are predisposed or pushed into thinking that they have to get a formal board of directors with them if they want to start a business, even in the exploratory stage. And we say, no, you do not want a board of directors because if you have a board of directors, they have a vested financial interest in the success of that business and really a vested responsibility. So we recommend with all the people that we work with to create a brain trust. And that brain trust is essentially people of experience that you don't have that will give you an honest opinion of whether this is an idea that's a business or whether this is an idea that is just a hobby
0: so is there a way of embarking on this journey without risking the 401k or you know taking out a second mortgage on your home i mean putting yourself at real financial risk
2: yeah absolutely you should not put yourself at any financial risk or at absolute minimum financial risk. We do a lot of preparatory work with anyone who's thinking of starting their own business exactly so that they can mitigate their financial risk. And we do not encourage anyone to tap into their 401k and to tap into their savings as little as possible, certainly not to borrow from family and friends or from a bank. Uh, You should not accrue uh, debt that you really have no promise of repaying if you don't have a valid business idea.
0: Now one of the things that I've dealt with when I've, you know, travel around the country and talk to people and I'm sure you've dealt with it, people go, Oh, you know, starting a business, that's a young person's game. You gotta go twenty four seven. That's not for someone who's in there fifty plus years.
2: I do encounter that a lot. And again it's uh what we find though is In our case, it's just the opposite. People come in uh, at 50-plus with this tremendous amount of energy. They've just either uh, retired or, as many say, retired involuntarily, um, and they want to figure out what to do next. They have this enormous energy, and they think they come to us and say, this is not just a young person's skill set.
0: Any other basics that people should be aware of as they – test out their journey into entrepreneurship?
2: It's very important that people understand that they're as they're starting something new, there will be failures along the way. And that's all part of taking a new idea out there and testing it because it has not been tested. So there will be blips along the road. And uh, your only trouble is if you've come to a blip or a bump or a turn in the road that you hadn't anticipated, if you understand that that's a turn and learn from it, that's one thing. The only way in which you will ultimately fail is if you fail to make that turn in the road.
0: And why have you become so passionate and devoted so much of your time to encouraging senior entrepreneurship?
2: I look at people and people come to me who suddenly have this gift of an additional 20 to 30 years. And their first question is, what am I going to do with it? And it's, to me i am so passionate about because i'm in the same position myself i started this current business when i was age 70 and i thought there's there's no end to what you can do if you're willing to look at the resources that you have and work with others but to me the most passionate part about it is that you're really giving people a second look at their lives it and and a second look at the fact that after 50, 50 isn't the sort of drop-off period, it really can be a launch pad into something else. And I love to use that quote from Mark Twain about the two most important days in our lives are, one, the day we were born, and two, the day we find out why. And in many cases, I'm working with people who have had these ideas for many years, but were not able to test the ideas because they might have had Family responsibilities or some other kind of financial responsibility. And it's a whole door opening. And I think, how can you not be passionate about it? When I speak to people, they get so excited about the fact that it's like they had been dreading 50 and they'd been dreading the concept of retirement. And that if you can help them see that there's many other alternatives out there, and it's not just starting a business of your own, it's really starting a new chapter in your life, and it really ignites people. You see the light come back in their eyes, and um, there's no greater reward than that.
0: That's Elizabeth Eisel. You can learn more about Elizabeth and her work at our website, SeniorEntrepreneurshipWorks.org. Now, if you couldn't write that down, don't worry about it. We'll have plenty of information, including that link, at our website, Unretirement.fm. Now it's time to take a listener question. But first, if you have an unretirement question or story, you can get in touch with us at our website, unretirement.fm, or at our Facebook page, facebook slash unretirement.
2: Hi, I'm Deb, and I live in Phoenix. Uh, A question that I have is that I'm pushing 60, and I'm working in the media field, and the media field, it seems to be dominated a lot by younger and younger people. So I'd like to know how, how I can continue to be relevant and to, to continue working in the field that I love when I have lots of gray hair.
0: Deb, I think you have a real competitive advantage. First of all, you have skill and you have experience and you can tell a story. And that's what so many organizations want today. They want people on their payroll that can tell a story. The other thing is because you're pushing 60, you have a network. There's lots of people who know who you are. So it may be that you don't stick to the exact field that you're in right now, but you take that storytelling skill And you move to a different sector of the economy. So, for example, you move over to a nonprofit organization to help them get their story about helping the homeless or um, reducing recidivism among juveniles who have been through the criminal justice system. I don't know what it is, but I would just simply say, look, I'm skilled, I'm knowledgeable, I'm experienced, and I know people. And I would tap into my network and start asking your network Where should you be looking for a job? Our listener question came through American Public Media's Public Insight Network. To become a news source for APM, go to publicinsightnetwork.org. If you enjoyed this show, and I hope you did, please take a moment and go to iTunes to leave a rating and review. It will help us improve the show and get the word out to more listeners. Unretirement is produced by American Public Media. Editor Catherine Winter producer Lauren D, and our Sherpa is Steve Nelson.